Welcome to Measures of Truth, a His Dark Materials podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. I'm Francis. And I'm Anya, and today we're discussing the fifth and sixth episodes of the third season of His Dark Materials, No Way Out and The Abyss. Episode 5 was written by Amelia Spencer. She wrote episode 1 of this season. Episode 5 was directed by Veronica Tavisca. Uh, Tavisca has directed in other shows like Hannah and the Irregulars, which are both really good. And episode 6 was written by uh, Francesca Gardner, who wrote The Cave and the Scholar in season 2, if you remember that. And it was directed by Amit Gupta who uh, directed the first two episodes of the season. Now, I think what's going on in the show is that Amit Gupta is directing everything that is not the world of the dead and Mulefa world. Veronica is directing the world of the dead and that a guy named Russell Dodson is directing the Mulefa world sequences. And he's been in charge of visual effects since the very beginning of the show. That makes a lot of sense as a way to time like, saving. Well, and also just like distributing labor, right? Everybody gets to focus on kind of like one task, one yeah. set of conceptual, logistical, practical problems. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really fit the way that TV shows are normally labeled. I kind of like it because it makes the worlds feel different too. In a, yeah, in a it way. totally does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that also it's a different sort of game. Yeah, when you're doing like visual effects versus doing anything else like normal acting, it's just a completely different world. And seeing as it's nearly entirely visual effects, that makes sense. All right, summary. <clears throat> in No Way Out, Will and Lyra arrive in the land of the dead. Lyra finds Roger, and they tell each other stories about Jordan College. The other dead people remember what it was like to be alive by listening. Will and Lyra decide that this world is a prison, and Will tries to use the knife to make an escape, but they are too far underground. Mary is led by the Mulefa named Atal to her home, a community of Mulefa who live in a grove of huge trees. Mary learns the language of the Mulefa and learns that there is a crisis around the seed pods that the trees grow from. The Mulefa need the seed pods to survive because they give them dust, but the dust is going away. Mrs. Coulter and her demon are attached to the bomb Dr. Cooper made. Father Gomez accuses Martha McPhail of losing his way, and as punishment, Gomez agrees to leave. He will hunt down the tempter of Eve in another world. Lord Roke flies into the bomb chamber and frees the golden monkey. 
Mrs. Coulter tries to stop the bomb, but Metatron intervenes and sets the bomb off anyway. In The Abyss, the land of the dead is hit by the bomb. It creates a chasm that stretches across the multiverse, and it starts pulling all the dust into it. Lyra and Will gather the dead and start hiking so Will can gut an escape window from higher ground. After reuniting with Lee Scoresby and John Perry, Will opens a window. Mrs. Coulter returns to Lord Asriel's camp. He believes the Abyss can be used as a weapon because angels are made out of dust. Mrs. Coulter is in despair because she believes Lyra has been killed, but Serafina tells her about Will's window and the dead being set free. Lyra lived to fulfill the prophecy, but has been separated from Pan. The adults gather to find Will and Lyra's demons. General feelings. <laughs> Just looking at our notes here. <laughs> I feel like this is the shortest notes we've ever had for the general feelings section. Yeah, we all thought it was real good. Yeah. It's great. It's good. Good good um good TV series, guys. Extremely excellent television. Yeah, we liked these two. Loved it. No notes, podcast over. There we are. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess that's a good transition to favorite part. I really love Azriel getting bitch slapped by Yorick and having <laughs> Serafina hold a knife to him after she threw him to the ground. And uh, I just want to see Azriel get beat up more. It does seem like yes. he's getting his comeuppance. I love, I love the look on his face when uh, Serafina's like, if it is true. Then Lyra is going to free the dead. She and Will would have achieved something remarkable. Far beyond your rebellion. Lyra is your focus now. Do not fail her. And he looks so annoyed and Mrs. Coulter looks so proud. <laughs> This is exactly what I wanted for him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that he wasn't being competent. It's that everyone stopped caring. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, okay. Um, someone else is cooler now. He's like, but I thought I was the main character. I'm supposed to be the center of the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm special. <laughs> everyone is special, but I'm the most special, okay? <laughs> I'm the most everyone. I also really enjoyed Asriel getting hit in the face. And also just Mrs. Coulter learning or kind of the fall of mrs coulter and then the subsequent eventual rise of mrs coulter again but from the ashes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it felt quite satisfying and it felt like everything was taken away from her and that's when she finally realized that she actually like who she was and what she'd be doing not only to other people but to herself yeah i think it really works here in a way that it doesn't quite in the books that it's a completely different story for her. Yeah, no, it it absolutely is. And I I really like that she is deconstructed and brought low here in a way that she doesn't quite in the books. Yeah. I like it and obviously Ruth Wilson does a fucking amazing job with it. Mm-hmm. And it is very good for the show. I can't love it just because it isn't it isn't my beloved villain, you know? Yeah, actually, I was as I was writing this down as one of my favorite parts, I was like, Kate is going to hate this. <laughs> yeah, it's not that I hate it because it is done so well in the show and it fits the show. Mm. But I 
I'm physically incapable of loving it. <laughs> in the way that I'm incapable of liking Vruta in the show, even though she has literally done nothing wrong. Except die. There was a part... <laughs> I almost wrote down, oh, thank God. But then I was like, hmm, let's not celebrate the death of a woman of color, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that doesn't really give good vibes. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Um. Okay, but back to my favorite part, because I am the main character of the section. (laughs) Everyone's special. Everyone's Uh, special! Specifically, I wrote down that scene with Mrs. Coulter and the golden monkey. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just, like, so well acted and so well animated. Yes. Um, And I particularly appreciated it because it, you know, it's deviating from the books, so... You know, the the writers put... I I know they put a lot of thought into that. And I just thought it, it like, hit the all of the emotional notes that it needed to hit so well. It is an extremely good adaptation choice. It hurts when we're apart. I pretend that it doesn't. And that first time I sent you away... was awful. I don't know why I do it. At first I think it was curiosity. But now it's become something else. A way to not feel what I can't bear. I used to think that I was the strong one. But I was wrong. It was you. All along. I am so very sorry. Please. Yeah, I wrote I wrote down here for that part. There was no warning that Coulter would reconcile with her demon and I was personally attacked. So like <laughs> I just like burst into tears while she's like you know, reaching As out to her demon. I was like, Oh my god, this is incredible. As someone who has a love hate relationship with yourself, you felt Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I identify with her a lot in a lot of ways. Of like, I don't feel good about my parenting, and like, there's you know all these complicated feelings about yourself and stuff. And she like overcomes. I'll never be as strong as Mrs. Coulter in a million ways, but like, just her overcoming that. It's it's she's not even a better person. It's just Mm -hmm. like a existential, you know, reset, a a new beginning in some Mm -hmm. ways. And it's like it was incredible. Yeah. I also, I really love not just what it says about her as a character, but I feel like that scene helped me understand demons and like the relationship that humans have with their demons a little bit better even. Mm-hmm. And then my other favorite thing was the vibes of the world of the dead, the the like overall design and the lighting and the makeup and the costuming. 
the way that like visually everything changes when Lyra starts telling stories like the hair and makeup changes the lighting changes the lanterns themselves change uh like the color of the lights like it was just super super well done and a really beautiful example of visual storytelling agreed this show sometimes does a little bit too much tell rather than show and that was a particular example where it was like yeah no this is this is this is very much show don't tell yeah i feel like in every book there's been some very specific scenes that I've been waiting for to see how they are going to adapt. And the world of the dead was what I was most worried about here, but definitely it was so good. Oh yeah. This couldn't be better. I think than what they chose to do in like a lot of ways. I also thought the choice to make everything be made out of trash was like really interesting. Will is like, what is this? It's not made of rock. made of people's things even though the boat guy says you have to leave your belongings behind yeah, yeah I so like get that. i i was i guess i wanted to talk about this a little bit because i i felt on one level confused by it like it doesn't really make logical sense but it feels almost like it makes thematic sense they're dead their belongings are dead i don't know and then part of me was also like is this supposed to be another environmental commentary like is this literally a landfill or something i i think so (laughs) yeah actually i do think that it it partially is because the attitude of the characters and their like sense of hopelessness and how they're not Mm -hmm. able to do anything you know because of the way that they feel the way that's paralyzed them has made their world into literal garbage And I think that that is a real feeling that a lot of millennial people have about the environment. Like nothing can actually be done. It's not just millennial though, like millennial and later Mm -hmm. where you feel like you've grown up and have no power because all the decisions and all of the structures were set up by people, you know, 40 years before you dawn of neoliberalism. This is pushing against that is what I mean. Yes. No, no, exactly. Yeah. Because it's like, it's it's really like a narrative that you're telling yourself and that mm. there's like, you're creating your own prison and and the environment is a result of that because of the way that you're thinking and feeling about things, which I, I actually really, really liked. And we talked in the book a lot about like, are, what are ghosts made out of? Are, you know, mm-hmm. is this like supernatural substance or something like that? And so I really, really like the materialism of the world of the dead and how they have physical body, like they hug Roger and Lee. Mm-hmm. And that was like the right choice, I think. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if I agree with that, but I, I get that it was what worked visually. And the, the well, like you said, Francis, with the lamps, I feel like there's a lot of people on this production, like Jack Thorne and stuff who come from British theater to television and this felt like yes. such a theater move that i was like yeah. this is brilliant the the way that they change color as roger's feelings are changing it's incredibly mm-hmm. subtle as well it's well, so good it, it's not it's it's actually not that subtle but it's subtle enough that you unless you're looking for it like i happened to notice it a little bit earlier they did kind of point at it mm-hmm. but like 
it's a very it's very hard to say what it is because it still looks white. It's just going from cool white to warm white. Yeah, that whole set looked very much like a theater set. Yeah, it did with its sort of nooks and yeah, and it how you could go around things. Yeah, it would look so good. Like fuck, curse child, just do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, there there is a stage play. There is, of course. Yeah, of uh, his dark materials. Yeah. I was primed to kind of be looking for the lamps because literally when the the boatman handed it to them as they were getting oh off God, yeah. the boat, I was like, wait, he's just giving them his lamp? Does everybody get a lamp? Yeah, like, yeah. This? <laughs> I had that thought too. Like, why? It's in the opening credits too, which I didn't notice until I rewatched, oh. but it's been in every opening credits. They both are there with a lamp. That really? their lamp is different than the lamp oh. color of all the other lamps in the scene. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I'll have to try yeah, yeah. to go back and, and try and see that. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that. Uh, just to be clear, my, my favorite part is also like all this good stuff that we're talking about with the world of the dead. It, it was amazing. Um, not disappointed in any way. But I did just want to say I loved the harpies. They were so good. They did just enough of them, and you could always, like, hear them in the background, even if you couldn't see them. Yeah. And that is a really good example of something that we've said in previous seasons of, like, using your money where it counts. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you didn't need the CG thing on screen all the time to know that they were there all the time. Yeah. yeah. Less is more. Yeah. And it was so genuinely creepy and unsettling when they were saying those things to try and make everybody depressed and sad about themselves. What kind of life bearer cannot use his own life? One led by an ignorant child! What kind of son abandons his own mother? Also, go like when Lyra and uh, No Name are talking. Like when when she gives No Name a name, it's like it's very standoffish. They're not really trusting each other yet. It still feels like someone's going to betray the other person, but it's this sort of just working up to a rapport. And actually, it felt less. Uh, comfortable than the books. In the books, it really felt like they became friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the in at least in the show thus far, it doesn't feel like they ever became friends. It felt like they found a ceasefire. It felt very much like Gracious Wings was um, happier than she would ever actually let on. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like keeping it back when in the book, obviously Pullman didn't think that hard about the harpies. I guess personality wise. Yeah. When Lyra's like, do you like that name? And she's like, you can't have it back. Yeah, I laughed out loud when she said that. (laughs) That was really good. 
I'd like to give you something to thank you. What? A name. Names can't just be given. Mine was. By a friend. Gracious wings. If you like it. You can't take it back now. It that really felt connected to me to the scene with Mrs. Coulter and the monkey. They're like the way that they're talking to each other and this the kind of tension that you're talking about, Francis, felt like the same kind of thing of like Mrs. Coulter's you know, whole apology to herself is like yeah. a totally different thing. But it did feel like like the monkey has these walls up emotionally and it's just face acting, you know, with CGI. Mm-hmm. But it is with the harpy too. And I think both of them really pull off an emotional punch that works. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The the harpy felt like a sapient being. Yeah. Which yeah. was impressive considering they made the decision to not have it have really a human face mm-hmm. more like a kind of wear turnip but... <laughs> <laughs> like, i love the it, design i thought the design was wonderful but it just wasn't yeah. to me what a harpy was but that was fine because yeah. it didn't really matter what they were called fact, and i, I don't, don't think they actually they said to, the word uh, harpy yeah. yeah yeah i don't think they are but like yeah they're just creatures yeah oh that's a good that's a good point. I guess the show didn't ever say the word harpies. Also, just one more good thing while we're talking about the world of the dead. I really feel like the actor who played Roger, uh, Lewin Lloyd, has leveled up in his acting. Like, he wasn't bad in season one, but it wasn't spectacular. And I feel like he's just so so much better now like he has a lot more subtlety in the way that he uses his face he and Daphne Keene have like really great chemistry in a way that I feel like they didn't quite in season one Mm -hmm. yeah he feels like a full adult actor rather than a child actor and I mean that with absolutely no disparagement to child actors yeah or or him specifically yeah yeah but like it, it just felt like all of a sudden there was so much more conveyed with how he behaved, how he held himself, mm-hmm. how he talked, how yep. he looked. It was not a lot of it was not in the words that he said or even the tone he used. It was in the su- the little subtleties, the little subconscious bits and bobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just he was so so good. I kind of honestly went in being like, oh, more Roger, and and then. <laughs> I was just delighted to watch him every single second he was on the screen. You know, it was it was lovely. Yeah, I would actually say in some in some uh, scenes he, not that it's a competition, but he slightly upstaged Will, and I used the character name specifically because it's not it, it's not the people, it's the character combined with the acting. Maybe we should just talk about this now. Um, But I did want to ask kind of how you guys felt about the interactions between Roger and Will, because I definitely... I knew you were going to bring this up. (laughs) (laughs) At the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm so glad they're not making this weird. And then there were a couple moments where I was like, oh, they are kind of making this weird. (laughs) 
I'll go next. I'll go. I can do it. So can I. You coming? Well? And then it got better again. But I do feel like Will was a little bit stepping back to kind of give Roger and Lyra their time together. I mean, they did go to the fucking world of the dead for him based on how the episode ends. I liked that Will wasn't really that territorial about Lyra and he actually seemed to really enjoy getting to see Lyra and Will together. Or sorry, yeah. Lyra and Roger together. I liked it. Or I didn't mind it, I suppose, because it wasn't anything that friends wouldn't do. Like if you had a best friend and then they showed up with a new best friend. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't anything inherently like jealous, romance jealousy based. It was the, I guess, I guess the thing is yeah. that like jealousy when it's portrayed in film and TV is nearly always intended to be romantic. Yeah. yeah. And especially as you know, there is a romantic connection between one of those characters and Lyra then certainly I don't think on Roger's side it's intended to be romantic, but certainly the implication is, at least on Will's side, there's an element of that. I didn't get romantic vibes between Lyra and Roger, and I was very thankful for that. Like, I think they did a really good job of showing how deep and caring and wonderful platonic relationships between a boy and a girl can be, and that was that was great. The one part that kind of irritated me was when they were like, jumping over the chasm i liked how they resolved that with lee mm -hmm. yeah but again it didn't feel like anything that uh like you wouldn't do if again like i said if your best friend yeah. showed up with a new best friend and you were trying to prove that you were actually the best best friend <laughs> especially since they're supposed to be very young like i think like the actors yeah. are older than the characters are supposed to be right now yeah and every time that it happens roger starts it if you pay attention to it, it's it's never Will being like, but I'm here too. It's always Roger being like, I was here first. Right. And it makes sense because he's been traumatized by the world of the dead and he's like insecure. Is like any of this real? Because we see that there are like kind of psychedelic hallucination type things that can happen in the world of the dead. Yeah. I, I had a lot of sympathy for Roger. Like Francis said, I think the performance like really overcame my ambivalence for Roger from season one. Yeah, and absolutely. I, oh my one. God. I cried so much in these two episodes, you guys. Like, I don't usually cry at this show, but like Roger it made me cry in that scene where just him and Lyra are sitting there talking about Jordan College and not doing a performance for everybody else. You know, it, it like draws them in and it changes the light of his lantern and I... I started crying there because the Lauren Balfe brings in the theme song from Jordan College. Do you remember that time we snuck into the wine cellar? We got covered in cobwebs and dust. I don't even know how we got in there. Fire, will you light? We had the porter's key. We found that ancient bottle of Takai. Smelled horrible. Tasted horrible too. 
<laughs> can stop laughing for hours. Wouldn't have got away with that if we had parents, would we? <laughs> <laughs> Like it's extremely touching and I got so attached to Roger that by the time he walks through the window and dissolves, I was crying at that too. So it was just like mm -hmm. hats off. Like they just nailed it. All right. Should we go on to least safe, least favorite parts? Cause then we can get into these sorts of tangents a bit more clearly. Um, when has that ever stopped us? Francis? <laughs> Speaking point, of well Roger, I really hated his line. <laughs> I've changed so much. Because the whole fucking point of being dead is that he hasn't. Yeah, like, exactly. That was... I didn't actually like that. Look, dead can't stop puberty. Yeah, they shouldn't have. <laughs> they should not have lampshaded it. You don't need to do that. We get it. Hormones yeah. are ethereal. Like it was so. <sighs> so yeah. I actually I went back and was looking at screenshots from season one, and I feel like Daphne Keene has changed a lot too. I like didn't oh, yeah, really notice oh, it as much with her. But she really looks a lot more grown up than she did. It, yeah, 100%. I think I think possibly they also um, they also dressed her down because I remember even at the time looking before they started coming out with the show, looking at kind of her bio photos and being like, she seems a bit old for this. Mm -hmm. And then I think they deliberately dressed her down and then kind of dressed her to her actual age or near her actual age, which I thought mm -hmm. was a very sensible and clever decision. Well, and the clothes that she's wearing so far this season are what Mrs. Coulter put her in. Mm -hmm. And they're so, practical. I yeah. kind of appreciate. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a sort of, it gives me very much the vibes of academic who's been called out to the field last minute. <laughs> and honestly, as the person who that often is, uh, <laughs> I feel it. And then just to finish up my note, I, I just wish we had more time with the Mulefa and less time with Azrael. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, I thought the same thing. Although, you know, what we get of the Mulefa is wonderful. Like, I was so, like, I take it all back what I complained about last episode of, like, they're on feet and they're not using their wheels and what is, and, like, they just solved all that in a few seconds opening up the episode and it was really, really wonderful. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I do wish there was more and we got to see their society more. The Mulefa mm -hmm. are really flat. I feel like. And Mary has like no arc. We get a little bit of a sense of Atal, but Atal is literally the only Mulefa that we see. So yeah. we, we well, kind no, of. No, that's not true. But. Well, or not the only. But like, I feel pretty like. Pretty much. The only one that yeah, talks. we talk to. Yeah. yeah. We get more of a sense of Mary's relationship with Atal than we do of Mulefa society. Yeah. It doesn't more feel broadly. like. It doesn't feel like Mary met the Mulefa. Right. Yeah. It feels like yeah. Mary met Atal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When she just showed up and like picked a space to put her thing down, I was like, what? You're not going to say hi? And like, yeah. 
It's and, also and, really weird. Like when she walked in, the other Mulefa just like wheel on past her and not yeah, like, what I the fuck they is that? Stopped to stare. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, it's another alien species. Get us every <laughs> they week. They just come through. <laughs> got, got an like aliens crossing sign. Like, Roswell. <laughs> Although I will say we did get to see a baby Mulefa and that was like all I fucking oh, wanted. It was so cute. Oh my so God. Cute. I don't think I noticed it. I think oh, I must have just been but super it, like, distracted. There were two of them and they were like wheeling around. Yeah, to one gets the... like center screen at one point. They're like beautiful. makes eye contact with Mary. They're so good. They're wonderful. Yeah, so I just wanted more of that. And I agree. I would I would readily take less Asriel to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know what you mean. So my problems also came a bit with the Mulefa world, but more specifically looking at the uh well, the amber over the amber spyglass. Mm-hmm. And Mary finds Amber, like in, in the books, she lacquers the oil repeatedly until you get an, a sort of resin. Here she just finds Amber in a stream and she picks up like four or five like normal pebble-sized rocks of it which look like they've been in a stream if you drop, like if you drop big chunks of Amber in a stream. And then she finds one that's perfectly fucking lens-shaped. <laughs> right. And it really annoyed me because like <laughs> the whole point is she's meant to be using her science in these slightly unconventional ways, piecing together bits of what she knows and what she's heard, what she's kind of just picked up over the years and her own reasoning to get to the point where she goes, Oh, we can do this with the lacquer, you know, we can do this with the oil. And actually, interestingly, again, the oil comes back or oil in general comes back in books later on in the series than mm. Amber Spyglass. But, like, it's just deeply annoying. I am glad that they did some shortcuts. Like, I, I'm glad we didn't have to watch her, like, painfully build up the lacquer layers or build a house or whatever. You could have so quickly, though. I don't know. I, I felt like finding the Amber in the water was kind of cool but i do wish yeah that she had found like a chunk that she had to grind down in some way do some amount of crafting because the idea that a perfectly lens-shaped piece would be there is just like too implausible it pulls me out like the other the other side of it that they could have done would be to make a lot of them be that very thin glass-like substance but be like fractured or like distinctly imperfect or cloudy where it was like she was kind of starting to look for it and be like, oh, this is interesting. But also, like, yeah, it it just, it could have been done better. Is there a critical mass of amber that you have to look through in order to see dust? Mm. Yeah, it's know. just a consequence of not giving it enough time, I think. Yes, I agree. I, I And I see why, again, because it's a probably a very expensive minute-per-minute Mm-hmm. style of shot to do in comparison to some of the others but well all the shots with with her and the spyglass until she got it at the end yeah don't have malefa do not have malefa mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so uh yeah okay in which case it just just uh, to me a bit dull and it didn't it, like you they could have done so much more with it and they decided not to and i'm not sure i agree with that decision at least the props people did a really great job. Oh, Her that was brilliant. notebook was beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. I, I loved it. I wish I could be anywhere near that sort of field well, you know, field scientist. And she's not a biologist. She's not someone she's a physicist. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do much with the field at all. Yeah, I mean they're losers, right? Like they they're are. Like, 
I also really liked the way they did the trunk gestures and Mary's hand interpretations of them. Because I think in my head from reading the book, they were much bigger, but they're actually quite subtle. It like shocked me a little bit at first, but then I think I really liked the decision. And I think I forget the actresses, uh, Simone Kirby, like the way that she moves her hands, it feels very casual and practiced and not like stiff at all. It's like it's yes, it was also very beautiful. It doesn't feel like she's holding her arm in front of her nose and waving it around like a truck. Yeah, yeah. Like and I thought that was clever. Doing a kindergartner's impression of an elephant or something. Exactly. I think this is why I am upset that we don't get more with them. It's because what we do get is is really good. Like mm-hmm. Amber Spyglass finding a side. Mm-hmm. I loved um, the subtitles that they do as she's learning the language. That was yeah. so good. Oh, that was, yeah, beautifully executed. So well done. It, it reminds me of the way they do it in, there's a game called No Man's Sky. Mm. And that has a thing where you, and one of the mechanics in that is you end up discovering like three different languages and you you discover stones which give you single words and then as you do that then it starts filling in the words that the aliens say to you but only those words so you have to start working things out by context and yeah. i thought that was really like very very similar and very 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 interesting and fun mm-hmm. yeah it was just it was so good and i wanted i want a whole season of just mary yes. and the Mulifa. yes i want more yeah and i i felt like the wheel mechanic is obviously super different from the way it's described mm. in the book mm. but mm. it it kind of it worked well enough it was like it gets it gets the job done <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute will we <laughs> okay I'll, yes i i will just say because i'm not gonna have anything to comment on the <laughs> particulars of it is that never like i've been reading this book for so long and I've never been able to picture it properly. Like, I've never been able to picture how the Mulefa hook onto the wheels properly, especially since they're just, the wheels are described as so big in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean. So I actually really like this because it worked. I believed it. So when all the Mulefa stuff happens, it happens like right away in the episode, if I remember right. When Atal grabs the two wheels and then like goes away that was the first time like tears just came into my eyes because it was like oh they did it like they they really did it in mm-hmm. such an elegant good way and i was just really impressed yeah the, the way that its foot moved around it and and i was like i can believe that so just to not leave uh alan out on his own i will mention that i teared up a lot during this episode also and i think it was just because finally getting to see one of my favorite books ever mm-hmm. in a translation that wasn't garbage yeah that's yeah, yeah. that's what it was it, i just i felt like this is such a loving adaptation of this book yeah that's a perfect description of it yeah you can tell that they just have so much respect and care for the source material but yeah. they also aren't afraid to make it their own the, my other least favorite part going back to this section that we're in i do enjoy that i know we keep talking about things we like <laughs> yeah it's because yeah, it's a stop. really good it's a really good set of episodes they yeah. really are these are nitpicks in a, in a river full of amber joy <laughs> in an estuary um, of <laughs> so the other thing that did annoy me and i felt that it could have genuinely been done better would have been 
the stories that Lyra tells. Because in this adaptation, in those scenes, Lyra was not a good storyteller. Lyra didn't tell interesting stories. She relayed facts that happened. And to me, that was actually the least Lyra thing that I think I've seen on this show. It never felt like they were telling us an interesting story. It, it didn't. Stories, ha- when you're telling a story, you there needs to be that dynamism to your voice, to your intonation itself, but also to to the journey that you're taking other people through. A story is boring if you don't have any sort of tension and release. A story is boring if you don't have fundamentally a hook. And some of these stories just felt like it was like, well, yeah, I guess we were in... You know, the, the equivalent of being like, well, we went to Starbucks once. Oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? That was nice. I had a coffee. Yeah, you did. Like... That's not a fucking story. <laughs> I both agree and disagree here because I, I absolutely agree that this is the least Lyra bit. And as much as this Lyra is very different than book Lyra, I am a little upset that she didn't try to tell like a lie, an untrue story. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like it, I don't think the scene is like, or the scenes or whatever are bad. And I don't know what they would have been like if they had done that. Maybe they just couldn't. That being said, I do like the idea, because I think we've talked about this off recording. Like, what would you tell the harpies? Even going out and doing stuff with your life, it doesn't ever feel like a compelling narrative. You're just going on. So I liked this idea that they were just telling the day-to-day happenstances of their life. And that was enough. I know what you mean. But I don't agree, personally, okay. because I like telling I like telling stories from from my life. I like telling stories f- that I have heard or that I have been told, and playing into that sort of bardic tradition, if you will. Of there's a little bit of not exaggeration, but like the way that you tell things, the bits yeah. that you include, the bits that you don't, or the order in which you're telling them. There's a whole there's a whole tradition around that, and I th- I enjoy telling stories th- about things that I have experienced, which are like that. I 100% agree, and I do too, and I absolutely think Lyra would also. So I do think it was the wrong choice for yeah. Lyra. That being said, in the grand scheme of things, people who there are people out there who are not good storytellers and do not enjoy it, who do deserve to get out of the world. Of and the they day. should stay in hell. Yeah, that's what Francis is saying. They should stay in hell. They're bad storytellers. Alan, they're in purgatory. Purgatory, yeah. <laughs> Which we will come to in a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that... I, ag- I agree that not everyone should have to, but I do think that Lyra, being Lyra Silvertongue, yeah. Yeah. should have a silver tongue. Yes. Um. So one of my least favorite parts, and this is super nitpicky, was kind of also related to the tell them stories part when gracious wings no name saves lyra and brings her back up and then lyra stands on the edge of the cliff and just yells out tell them stories it was i could it just made me laugh it felt the kind of i don't know cheesy and terrible in a way that like everything that came before that and everything that came after that felt great 
Lyra and Roger and Will have not really been paying attention to these people following behind them at all. And then suddenly she's just going <laughs> to... I guess she was channeling her dad very much yelling, everyone is special. <laughs> Tell them stories. It's all right. They're going to help us. Just tell them your stories. Stories from your lives. And they'll guide you up. Tell them stories. I feel like they could have just edited out that clip and it would have worked so much better. Um, and then the other thing is I really did not like the fridging of Ruta. Like, I like what happens later with Serafina. I don't know. I don't know. It just, in the moment as it was happening, I was like really mad that they killed her off like that. And it didn't seem to make sense with the rest of the physics and metaphysics for how the void worked like everyone else was just as far or close to the chasm and their demons weren't i mean, well, I guess everyone in the world of the dead didn't have demons i don't, I don't think it's about proximity it seemed like the it seemed like sergey her demon looked into it oh and and that caused it in the same way that lyra I see. Drawn into it. So it was like because he was investigating it specifically. Yeah. It like drew him in. Okay, that makes me hate it less. I can't imagine Sergei as anything other than a sort of large Polish baker. Yeah, he should be a canary uh, because (laughs) he's in a coal mine and he's giving everybody a warning. Oh, oh, nice. (laughs) Do you think there could have been a good way to get Serafina there and doing the things her character needed to do without killing off Ruta. Oh yeah. Yeah, she could just be there. She yeah. could be there. Like right. <laughs> there could just be two witches <laughs> hanging out doing witchy things together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I would I would hazard a guess that we saw that for different reasons. For setting up different things. Not specifically for Serafina. I don't know. It felt at the time it felt like they were just kind of like sacrificing her to try and raise the stakes and it's like i don't i didn't need that like i already felt like the stakes were high enough but yeah maybe i guess we'll see what happens in the next couple of episodes well i do have a science thing are you going to talk about ball bearings yes i'm going to talk about ball bearings so when you have a single axis bearing i.e a wheel they're pretty simple There are ways to do them in a complicated manner, but fundamentally speaking, it's pretty simple. Essentially, if you add enough grease, you add enough lubricant, you can have an axle, and you can have a thing that goes around the axle, with a hole in it that goes around the axle. That's how a wheel works. The way I imagine the Malefa, we're using wheels, they essentially pinch it between these two claws and then that provides the axle for the wheel nut, which naturally have a hole in the middle. These wheel nuts are spherical. Well, functionally spherical. Going around on a sphere, you need minimum 
three bearings. Basically to me, the ball bearings make little to no sense and it doesn't add up in my head with how the physics of it all kind of works. Now, that said, you know, they, they do seem, it does seem fairly natural. I like that they have them on two wheels and so they have that sort of diagonal shape. I think that's really fun. But also, why not just have four and treat them like roller skates? That's probably better ergonomically. Exactly. They would get and, less lopsided and and torched. they could And they could hatch four trees at a time. They double their tree reproduction <laughs> rate. But also, in order to grip those balls and hold them in place, they need to have an opposable thumb. If the Malefa have opposable thumbs, they can make their own fishing nets. We didn't even see fishing nets in this episode. I don't understand why you're so mad about it. I don't think they we see any technology from them at all. No, we haven't seen anything, which is kind of a problem. Yeah. But like they don't we we, we haven't got any like they don't feel like the Malefa from the books that much. Mm-mm, it no. feels more like um They're talking Malefa from a Disney movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I that that upsets me because I think they're such interesting characters in the books, and they look amazing. The effects department's done so well, but in doing so, I feel like they have ended up compromising some elements of the story which we didn't realize were quite as important as they are. No, I agree. Especially, I didn't even notice it at the time, but you're right. We see them like living in the hollows of the trees instead of having houses that they built. Right, and it feels like they're making them less Mm -hmm. which is an interesting thing to say about an english show doing you know showing (laughs) it on different culture doing a cultural imperialism in fiction and they took it away yeah yeah, but but like that that is kind of the point it's making them look for lack of or, or it's making them look quote unquote like savages which is not the point Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's but actually it, the opposite, of the, the opposite point. of the point. Exactly, exactly. yes. And I, they, they could have. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I wait with bated breath to see if they, uh, if they get over this in the last two episodes. I'm going to be honest. I don't hold out that much hope. I will say though, I, I realized at the end of episode five. I was like, they remind me of something. And I realized it's, they kind of have Okapi vibes. Something about the body shape. Yes. Um, They are just Okapi. Okapi with like elephant noses. (laughs) O-K-A-P-I for anyone who is Googling furiously right now. (laughs) Yeah, so they are uh, the closest relatives of giraffes. They just look like what happens if you had bits remaining from making animals and just sort of put them together. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's not quite a trunk, but they do have like a long snout with like a... It's half trunk. It's It's a half trunk. Let's get on to the religion, because that usually takes us 45 minutes. No, Alan said he's skipping religion. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to... Oh, no, oh, no, I, oh, sorry, you were skipping science. No, there's no I don't, I don't think there's any limbo. reason to no, talk about it. No, I think we can it. talk about limbo. No, you're a liar. I, we, can t- I we, can, we can touch on it quickly. I don't think that there's a reason to. I think everybody knows about limbo. Purgatory, so, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Okay. Is, actually, that is a good question. Is limbo and purgatory the same thing? No. 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 What is the difference? <laughs> I really thought we would either skip it or give an intro, because now the intro is just me saying, let's do this, because we're running out of time. Right. <laughs> it's so, literally... Religion. The only, the only difference between Limbo and Purgatory 
is that limbo is much more ancient and so it like stretches back to the you know mediterranean tradition with the greeks and egyptians and stuff like that right oh so purgatory is a specifically christian version of specifically catholic specifically catholic version of limbo well no because limbo is like it's basically the suburbs of the dead literally it's like (laughs) everything around the underworld and there are people there who are like they're more with it than the dead people in the cave wait are they the soccer mums yeah basically (laughs) it's like the nice houses and stuff so like for example in dante's inferno limbo is populated by like aristotle and, and and like and like all Don't these enlightened hell. philosophers who just never heard of Jesus and and poets and stuff. So they're like they're hanging out in the as far away from the depths of hell as you can get and it's not a nice place but it's not that bad. And then purgatory is like specifically for Christians who have been redeemed but have more work to do before they get to heaven. And so that's like a totally different thing that's specifically Catholic. I did want to talk about the adaptation choice around the bomb and about how it operates. And yeah, me too, because I really like a lot of the changes. It's really good, I think. I Specifically, I think one of the best choices is hooking up Mrs. Coulter and her demon as the trigger. I mean, that happened in the book. Did it? Yeah, 100%. They put the monkey in the cage? Pretty sure. Yeah. But then she man- she does manage to escape on her yeah, own. Yeah, she gets out and then... Oh, I guess I just don't remember that. And McPhail is like, all right, I guess it's up to me. And he puts his demon, who in the book fights mm-hmm. against it. In the show, it was interesting that they had the demon be like, okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, in the- yeah. So I, I just remember they were having like this big dramatic fight in a rainstorm on top of a dam... And there was yeah yeah because yeah. they needed an an electricity source I so the yeah like the first overall decision was just to have the machine at the magisterium and not on the side of a cliff with a zeppelin and a thunderstorm <laughs> right. with a that fire that was really good yeah. yeah that was great way <laughs> less CGI like you don't need all that shit yeah um, <laughs> well this was really good it anyway. would have been cool yeah but also yeah. I I I do feel like and this is kind of related I guess in the book. We get the feeling more that the war between Azrael and the angels has been going on for a bit mm-hmm. because he like shows up because Roke has his communicating right. device, I believe, in the book. Mm-hmm. So he shows up to to stop everything. And and you just you get the feeling that this is not the first time that they've had a big clash because there's angels there, too, fighting against him, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And there's a witch there who's fighting. He kills yeah. the witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like that all of this is way less dramatic and and not about like a huge fight. As cool as it, that would have been, like the fight that happens here and the conflict between these three characters is like super good. Again, it's like very theatrical, right? It's very like mm-hmm. small scale staged, but I think it's really really good in a lot of ways. This is why it's good to have a demon with opposable thumbs. Yes, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, very agreed. Much better than a a mouse or a beetle or something, (laughs) a weasel. I think part of bringing her down to rock bottom, like you said, though, was was having her strapped to that chair and almost Mm -hmm. severing her from the monkey. Like having her go through the thing that she made. Yeah. Right. No, that was a good choice and how they focused on it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And also, it made her realize she'd been sending the monkey away for so long. But I I think it's good the way that she runs in there and she takes the bomb apart with the targeting mechanism so that the hair is not in there. And the way that I read that was that it was basically um, the bomb was locked on to exactly where Lyra had been until she pulled it out and Lyra continued to walk. And so it falls where Lyra was, but not where she is. Which was way more elegant, I thought, than like cutting off this piece of hair and then we're going to throw it into a place that's solid rock and close it up. Like it's just all around more elegant. And I really, really like, I mean, we didn't talk about it at all, but the little peak that we get of Metatron is incredible and really great. And I love that he literally deus ex machina's the bomb. Yeah, that was good. Yes. You think dust can make you gods? Let us see how you fare without it. It was a good way to introduce him as as a villain. Yeah. Especially as we're, like, McPhail's dead, so that villain's gone. Mrs. Coulter is kind of no longer a villain. Oh, you're right. Ezreal's just a shit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So it was a good way to bring him in, just as all the other villains were kind of defeated. Yep. And I'm sure sure there's a name for the, the... I guess you see it in a lot of kind of shonen manga, and also in a bunch of... Um, I was well, just thinking that this is my Dragon yeah. Ball Z rule that yeah, yeah. of storytelling. It, 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 this is how you do villains. The other, <laughs> the new villain takes out the old villain to show how potent he is. Yeah. Exactly, like yeah. the power. It's like the power creep. I, I'm sure yeah. there's a name for it properly, but like, it's just that you know we've gone from, um, well we've we've gone from initially the head of Jordan College to Mrs. Coulter mm. to Asriel and Mrs. Coulter. To the magisterium, to God? Question mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and kind of at no point has it ever felt well to Spectres, I suppose, at some point. At no point has it ever felt like it's been a crazy jump. And then you're looking at it, and you're like, the power level's over nine thousand, guys. Yeah, like what am I going to do? <laughs> but it's it's a power creep that feels realistic because it's like yes. your understanding of the scope of the conflict has been it you like your understanding is changing but it it always still feels internally consistent that like all of this was going on you just didn't know about it um we haven't talked about gomez also i i do think that the writing of him in this was a little awkward because they had they had to get him out of there obviously before shit went down and and send him on his mission and they just sort of did that as as quickly as possible. But I do think the actor does it amazingly. He he gives 110% every time. And they gave him a slightly different mission, but will yeah. get him to the same place. Yeah. Yes. And I, I did feel that Gomez, Gomez himself was like, as you said, exceptionally well acted. Taking a different mission, I felt he rolled over on it a little too easily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which I didn't feel was necessary for him to do, but 
like I felt that you could have redone that slightly with having Father McPhail pressure him. Just just be like, you know what? Okay, you're getting a bit uppity now. I'm going to exert all my influence and note how it is very, very vast. You're now going here. And he goes, whatever I must do. Mm. You know, in his sort of slightly hyper-zealous, hyper-saccharine almost way. That would have worked really, really well. But I didn't think this was bad. I, I when I was watching this, I was thinking about you know we talked about oh he should have been a ghost you know the way that he was in the book in the first episode and uh, I was thinking about okay how not are a the literal writers... ghost yeah well not a literal ghost right. I'm I'm just saying in a show where there are literal you gotta yeah. it's a good point <laughs> that is a very good point <laughs> it would be like you know a stone cold killer you know moving across worlds um, better than Stone Cold Steve Austin moving across worlds. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a beer in this hand and the, the people's Bible elbow in this through hand the and... galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought, you know, I was thinking like, how are the writers utilizing him in the story? And it, I think because it's more clumsy in this episode, like you said, uh, it stuck, like I realized what was happening and I feel like what they were doing. And, and I think this is pretty smart and they mostly did a good job of it is that he's really almost like a projection of Father McPhail and like all of his, it's like Father Gomez is Father McPhail's super ego. He feels like, like that is what I should be like, but I'm not good enough inside, you know? And I think that the point there is that Father Gomez and Father Gomez is not what Father McPhail should be, nor is Father McPhail what Father Gomez should be they are both looking at each other one is saying oh shit you're really you're really pious like you're actually right. drunk this Kool-Aid yeah and the other, the other is going you have all this power that I that I need and you know like it, it's like when you see a charismatic cult leader find like meet their <laughs> meet their first like true believer, true believer. Like, yeah Why exactly are you doing this exactly can i get more yeah and it's it, that's i think that's where the antagonism from mcphail yeah. comes to i mean he slaps him in this episode because he's like cool moment yeah he's like threatened by him and stuff to touch another's demon is forbidden is it not How dare you enter unannounced? Do I have to remind you to whom it is you answer? I answer to the authority. I think all of that was was pretty well done. It's a good way to use Gomez, whereas otherwise you would have this actor just off doing hiking montages and kind of flat the way that Mary's story has been, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think what they have done to Father Gomez's story is absolutely excellent. I cannot commend them highly enough for that. I do wish they'd have given some of that attention to Mary's story. <laughs> yeah. But Gomez is amazing. Um, and just to circle back on something that we talked about last week, we did get a little bit of Will talking about feeling his demon being gone. 
not what we were hoping for, Thank obviously. God we had yeah. But he, they do take that line straight from the book, so I did like that and how, because I remember the first time I read that where he describes the shame that he feels. Yeah. When he feels the demon ripped away from him. And I remember, and just Philip Pullman did such a good job writing that. So I'm glad that they kept most of that line in. Not all of it, but most of it. And it, that was good. Um, I did want to say that also the there's the scene with Lyra and Will once they start to notice that everybody's listening to them, including the harpies. Uh, before they start their hike, they they kind of stand up on a well lyra stands up and gives a little speech and then she brings up will and they kind of lay out hi guys i'm will (laughs) (laughs) sorry it was so bad um i don't i I felt like it was calling back in a way to the egyptian roping like the whole thing felt very democratic the crowd Mm. was talking back in a way that felt very even and not like the way that asriel deals with his group i felt like there's a contrast to be had that I appreciated. There, there wasn't authority there. Mm-hmm. There was like just talking. They also, in that scene, had the older lady come up and say out loud the theme of the story, which is a difficult thing to do and get right, but they did a good job. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I completely agree. When we were alive, they told us that when we died, we'd go to heaven. That's why so many of us gave our lives and spent years in prayer and silence, and all the joy of life went to waste around us. I don't care what happens to us when we leave. Anything is better than this. Getting these really good, like, small actors, like, small characters, but getting good actors to do them has been really well on this show. Mm -hmm. It pays off, too. Yeah. It's really good. It really does. And then uh, also quickly, I wanted to mention, uh, this is another episode where they have put in a reference just for us, <laughs> in that they bring up the bacon sandwich again. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, you cannot tell it. me that somebody is not putting these things in there for <laughs> the four of us specifically. If you are, let me just say, dear Bad Wolf, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> and, if you're, and if you ever turn up, Anywhere that we all are, if we ever meet, I will make you or buy you a bacon sandwich. I will do that. <laughs> I have I had one of Francis's bacon sandwich. I was going to say, I have had one of Francis's bacon sandwiches and they are pretty good. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I did appreciate the Bechtel test moment of Serafina and Coulter talking about being Lyra's mom. Mm-hmm. That was a good scene to have because we never really got that in the book. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like that the show is kind of giving us those, you know, we wish these characters could have gotten a chance to talk thing. What would that have looked like? It was great, I thought. Yeah. I really like the way that Serafina pushes back on the internalized narrative that Mrs. Coulter has. Even though she's like cynical about the church, she really has internalized that Eve did like a wicked thing. And Serafina's like, no, it was magnificent. And she was brave. <laughs> Magisterium teach the fall is the birth of sin because they fear the unknown. All Eve did was dare to experience. It's an act of bravery, of great beauty. You are a monster, but 
look what experience did to you. What love did. It changed you. Will and John Perry scene, like another moment where I cried. Yeah, that was yeah. really, really, really good. Their discussion and their scene was very good. Uh, I couldn't. It was. I couldn't get into it because it was so clear that there were scheduling difficulties, and they just had to record yeah. that on a random day. Because why would they just leave him there? Why wouldn't he join them to walk to the window? What? Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I get it. That. I get it. You got to do what you got to do. And the scene with them talking was very good. Uh, but I could just feel the scheduling difficulties, you know? Mm-hmm. That didn't even occur to me. But now that you say it, it feels very obvious. Yeah. And it's probably like an even more impressive scene if they did film it like a couple months later, a couple weeks later or whatever. Because they weren't, because it was like, I assume nobody else was there that day and they just pulled mirror in. You know, and put him back in costume for something, and he had to get back into that headspace. So it was it was very well done. Yeah, because it's it's really for me. It was his face when he hugs his father at the end. That he's like, we're looking at his face and just the relief and like happiness and acceptance. That like was heartbreaking to me. I was like, oh, he got all of his closure. Like, good for Will. And then he just leaves his dad behind. And then he's like, good luck in your shaman cave forever, dad. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun. Okay, well, that's it for this episode. Next time, we'll be talking about the last two episodes of the show. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is, I can't believe we're at the end of this journey. Soon, we'll never have to talk to each other again. I know, I guess not. (laughs) Uh, If you like our show, please take some time to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Anya, and you can follow me on Twitter at Strangely Literal. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have time or emotions to deal with Twitter right now. (laughs) Bastodon. Whatever. I'm there, too. I mean, Twitter's still there. It's it's a... Weird. Anyways, I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. I'm Francis, and you can follow me on Twitter, which is still there as of time of recording, at Francis Windrum. Follow the show on Twitter at MOTPod. If you need more than 280 characters to speak your mind, send your email to contact at hollowedgroundmedia.com. And don't forget to tell the harpies about your bacon sandwich. <laughs>